Hey folks, welcome to episode 151 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Davey Crockett. He is an author, historian, and long-distance runner who hosts the Ultra Running History podcast. In the span of 17 years, he's finished 105 100-mile ultra races. I think he's a wonderful example of somebody whose love for the outdoors adventure and going far has motivated him to strive for adapting his body for distance but then within time his interest of um, you know history and writing intersected with his love for running to make like one of the best resources for the history of um people running and and even walking long distances in podcast form and in written form. I mean, I love his podcast, but his website is um, is worth checking out. And he's even got some great videos on YouTube. So he he's able to talk and then use um, different pictures and stuff to explain further. It's just great. But you can find all the links to that in the show notes or becominghumanpodcast.com. You can go to his website, um, ultrarunninghistory.com. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to play you out with a song called The Whip by Dirtwire. It's an awesome cover, and I love Dirtwire. Without any further ado, here's Davy Crockett. When I was, when I was younger, I I ran here and there, but didn't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I remember I ran a five k in in college and uh it about killed me i did pretty good though but that was the last race i ran for a couple decades until i ran a 50k wow (laughs) did you never i never went through the marathons first i went i went straight into it yeah and, and the way i started i started uh really doing long distance hiking uh i didn't even know ultra running existed what about long distance hiking uh, appealed to you that running didn't? Um, well, I, I kind of got introduced to the, I think I got introduced to the outdoors by backpacking. So mm-hmm. I had some friends who I met actually online and they invited me to go backpacking with them. Uh, I think my first one with them was in um, Southern Utah, Northern Arizona, the Priya Canyon. Uh, and um a long one so it was like 40 some miles uh beautiful beautiful canyon i I loved i've run through there many many times Uh, how was that like that that kind of experience was that like a groundbreaking experience for you in terms of it was i i mean i had no hardly any outdoor experience other than i you know i i was a i worked with boy scouts and so i did some camp camp outs with them but putting a back on my pack and understanding about filtering water and wow. 
you know, all that kind of camp stoves and all that kind of stuff. It was like I mean, an encapsulation of adventure for you, right? It was. I mean, I had a 60-pound pack on my back. Wow. Heavy. I had stuff I didn't need. And I <laughs> suffered through that whole thing and came out with swollen ankles, and I couldn't walk for two weeks. But every year I would go with these guys, and we have for, for, the, for now, what, almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. Every year we select a place and we go backpacking for a week. Last, this past year we went to the Grand Canyon, a very remote place in the Grand Canyon that I took them. And um, so over those years, this was in the late 80s, early 90s, um, they got me introduced to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And so every year I would try to get in shape for this, this one time only backpacking trip. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd run up and down my streets trying to get in shape about a week before. <laughs> <laughs> of, course wow. that, of course that never worked. And I was always the slowest in our group. <laughs> always, always. And then I don't know, something happened 2003. I said, you know, I'm going to go to get in shape. I'm going to go up this, this popular mountain in Utah called Timpanogos. I'd never gone to the top before. And so I, one Saturday I went up it and it, and it took me like a round trip of about 10 and a half hours. I was so slow and it's, it's popular with college students, young college students. So along the way they were actually making fun of me that I was, oh my gosh. Yeah. That I was a tortoise. Because <laughs> I would just keep plodding along, never rest, catch up to them. And then they would speed ahead. And, they, and so I felt very <laughs> offended that they called me a tortoise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went on, I went on this backpacking trip, I think to the wind, yeah, to the wind rivers in Wyoming and I had a wonderful time. And I came back and I said, I am going to, get in shape and the very next weekend i went back up that mountain and cut off hours because i had oh you know my backpacking trip had helped get me into mm-hmm. somewhat shape and you prepared and I, yourself yeah that's i just i just ast- astonished mm-hmm. that that i could do it so much better and so all that's that started it all what did that do to your self-confidence oh huge because you know, I was mid forties. I'd see my kids playing out in the backyard with my very fit brother-in-law who would do games and sports with them. And I was 230 pounds and, um, could not, I felt like, you know, my, my fitness life was gone. Yeah. I'm ready to be an old man. And, uh, (laughs) so this changed everything now. So, so what I started doing is these long, so I'd go back and try to do our backpacking trips instead of in three or four days, I try to do them in one day. Mm. I would fast pack them and um, uh-huh. little by little, I got better and better about that. And could did, fast pack them. Was, was there some part of you who, who um, did you enjoy that? Like comparing the ways, the way of moving is there some part of you that enjoyed being able to move in the fashion of fast packing a little more as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I would, I like to me, it, it opened, opened my mind and my experience because I was seeing so much more in a day. Um, I mean, in the, in the mid eighties, I did 
did start to do some um, mountain biking. This was way before mountain biking was popular. And uh, so I, I, I did, did some kind of backpacking trips on a bike. Um, and so it kind of gave me that same experience by doing it on foot, though. And I was astonished that I could cover so much ground in one day by foot. And your, your fitness isn't driven by some external competitiveness, right? Because that's where, like, when I, when I see, like, track running and, and stuff, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the drive there and that ambition often has to do with, like, the desire to be competitive and the joy of competing. Yeah, I mean, I am very competitive. Um, and the mistake I would always make in past years when I tried to get into shape is I always had my watch with me and I would compete with myself to always do mm-hmm. runs faster and faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And then I would get injured. And then I would say, oh, I don't like running. I'm not going to do it anymore. And so I, I've always had to temper my competitiveness or leave my watch behind mm-hmm. and just enjoy it. So once I got out in the outdoors and fast packing in all these different places and in Utah and other places, I just, I had, again, no idea that there was a sport called ultra running yet. <laughs> and, and trail running was not a thing in back then when I first started around 03, 04, I never saw runners on the trail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, but I kept doing these things until I, and, and then I, I knew I needed to lose weight and the way I lo- lost weight is by swimming we had a oh uh, really yeah we have a pool locally in my development uh that had access to it so i'd start doing long distance swimming would do at least a mile every morning wow um the weight just started to peel off oh no way yeah these because i really couldn't run i i could do this fast packing stuff Mm -hmm. but i couldn't run at being over 200 pounds so just the you just start getting injured so i brought my weight down to at least 190 pounds before i started really trying to run did you ever try to um bring your weight down prior to that um sure always but you know i i was leading a pretty sedentary life you know a couch potato mm-hmm. when i was you know probably uh yeah, probably 20 years ago. I, I find it interesting that most people when you, or a lot of people when you get into fitness or trying to, trying to be healthy, like there's a desire or um, uh, you people would hold health in high regard. And usually to get there, it's like, it's planned. So you can achieve, you know, fitness or being healthy for longevity. Um, and I don't, some people that works, but like the, what would it be the recidivism or the fallout rate of people like going to a gym and being consistent with that? Like after new year's is like an indication that that doesn't, it doesn't seem to work or at least that's a way for me to cope with it. Not working for me because when I would try to do, you know, have this routine of where I'm going to go to the gym so I can be healthy, I'm going to lift weights and I'm gonna do some cardio. So, you know, I'm strong or whatever, and I could live a long time. Um, that didn't really work for me. I would always not, it wouldn't, I wouldn't want to show up. I wasn't really invested in the results. And, you know, even being a smoker, it was kind of the similar for me too, where it's like, I got to quit cigarettes because it's good. You know, it's good if I don't, and I want to live a long time. It's a good thing to do. 
but the joy of smoking was, you know, important to me. And like when I started doing martial arts and running, because I was interested in just the play aspect of it, like there was just something about the experience that I really liked to show up for. And what it aligned the fitness was, is fitness being fit meant that I could do more of what I liked. I mean, I could play more, just like you're saying, you could play with your kids, for instance. But beyond that, like I had things that I was becoming very interested in and if not obsessed for the first time in my life. And that drove me to to like be, I guess, sometimes physically healthy or at least achieve fitness for the first time in my life and have that like as a lifestyle to where, you know, um, and that if I didn't have that fitness, it would with. I wouldn't be able to access these kinds of experiences or I'd go up to a mountain and try to see this beautiful landscape and it would be very painful and challenging because I didn't have that fitness. And now my relationship with fitness is like, it's not this chore that I have to do. You know, it's this, this ritual that I have that actually improves my life and gives me greater access to joy. And, you know, I almost see that within you. Like, yeah, that's, that's the same way. I mean, my motivation was not just, to, you know, extend my life or, you know, or look better or something like that. It was to be able to access the outdoors in places that few can see it uh, and to do that on my own feet. And, and so, so then I remember a, a, a setback I had was I, I was also a skier. Um, mm-hmm. And um, right before a backpacking trip, the yearly one again, I, I, I believe I tore my meniscus Ooh. skiing. And so on the backpacking trip, my, my knee swelled up like a balloon. And it was so discouraging. I was thinking, oh, I'm just starting to just love the outdoors and and now i've ruined my knee and um so i had i had uh i had the surgery and i remember when i came out of the surgery the, the, the doctor said you need to you need to give up running <laughs> oh I go, I go what and i'm not even an ultra runner yet right <laughs> Wow. Oh. So, so that was 40,000 miles ago. The hook hasn't even been set. <laughs> so, so he saw the look on my face and he goes, well, if you have to do it, do it on trails. Ooh. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, it, took, it took a good year after that to, for the knee to, you know, calm down where i could actually do it but uh was it hard for you to to read to read when you can re-enter like uh to be in that limbo yeah i did see i was a real rookie i didn't i didn't i don't know anything about treating injuries or (laughs) fueling or or electro i didn't know any of that stuff (laughs) you know I, i had no mentor there was nobody i knew that was doing i thought i was inventing a new sport. Wow. <laughs> Just going out there and going long distance. And, and so what, what happened is, so I, yeah, I, I did, re- did recover somewhat. And, um, but then my wife started worrying about me going off on <laughs> really long places. And she says, why can't, can't you, can't you find a partner? And so I'd find some partners and they would go with me like one time or 
or two times, but then again, their wives wouldn't want them to go <laughs> off. <laughs> because I'd want to do it every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> you were, wow, you were really into it at the time. Yeah. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> so eventually I tried to find somebody online and the guy said, well, why don't you do the races? And I go, well, what races? What are you talking about? Uh-huh. He says, the ultra races. Huh? And so, I mean, back then it was, it was a little harder to find things in, on the internet, but eventually, I mean, I'd heard about this thing called, Wasatch 100 mm-hmm. uh, locally, but I thought it was just a bunch of crazy people running on paved roads in the mountains. Yeah. And I thought <laughs> that's stupid. And <laughs> so I was wrong. It wasn't on paved roads, but yes, they were crazy people. <laughs> uh, and so I, I, I tried contacting the race director and said, could I get into this race? <laughs> and, and of course you can. I mean, that thing. Yeah. Even back then, filled up. He said, "Well, we'll go try the Bear 100." And, and I looked at that. I said, "Oh, I can I can get into that." But but you know, I'd never done a 50k or anything. But I signed up for this Bear 100. <laughs> wow! With about three months to go. And, um That's the under. And, that's an undertaking. <laughs> I mean, because I hadn't, I hadn't, I didn't know this sport existed i mean i mean once i was with my brother-in-law we were up in the wasatch mountains uh, uh, above uh, mill creek canyon running on the trails and we ran across some guys who were astonished to see us running and they said who are you who are you guys running from (laughs) (laughs) it was so foreign back then to see that's where the sport was in 2003 that's uh, wild but I, so I quickly signed up for a 50K in Idaho and uh, brought my family to wait around for me. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't end up in last place, but pretty close. Mm-hmm. And then the two weeks later, I went to do a 50 miler up in Washington where I grew up. And I came, I finished it, but I was in dead last. Wow. And, and actually two seconds over the cutoff. Oh, it still gave me credit. Yeah, that's good. What, how are you, how are you feeling about, about that? Because as I got into ultra running, I've been doing, or like doing ultra running for, I don't know, like three years. And I realized that I'm not in it necessarily to, to place, but I really like the adventure. And I thought you do these things to like, try to, to try to place eventually. Like that's your, everyone's goal and i realized that that's so like not the case at all what was that like for you um well when i when i entered that 50k um i had no idea how well i would do in fact i had in my mind maybe i can do really well <laughs> <laughs> yeah see i thought that once <laughs> because i've been doing all this great stuff on these trails i'm in good shape <laughs> <laughs> I had no experience. And so then that kind of that kind of cut me down. And then I said, okay, so I, okay, so I'm not not real great. And I looked around at the people in the race and I could see I was still in fact when I got to this 50 miler, what dawned on me is that I was overweight still. I looked at all these skinny people and I looked at me and the fat on me. I go, oh. I, st- I, I still need to lose weight. 
And uh, so I did finish that one. And then I, I tried a, a 100K and I didn't finish that. And then this, um, this bear 100 came, came up. And I, I worked really hard at it. And, but still, I had no, no, no idea about fueling and electrolytes and all those things. And at mile 85, I made it to mile 85. Wow. But I was out of gas. I was, I bonked really hard. I thought I was dying. And oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's so intense. And my pacer had to flag down a couple guys on motorcycles and they, they got us out of the mountains. <laughs> so I got to the finish line and I watched people finishing. And I said, this sport is not for me. I will never be able to finish a hundred miler. What, mm -hmm. what was I thinking? Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, I, 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 I said, no, this is it. And so I got home. I said, no, but that lasted for three days. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I had, I had overuse injuries out, coming out of that and mm -hmm. I had to get those figured out. But what it dawned on me is I needed to learn how to run. <laughs> and so I spent the next several months losing weight, losing more weight and learning how to run. Wow. And uh, I followed what was called the ultra list back mm -hmm. then, uh, which is an email list back then, where it, which was social media then, where mm -hmm. I learned from the veterans. And um, uh, in a few months later, I signed up for Rocky Raccoon in um, Texas, uh, which is a flatter 100-miler, uh, and I finished that. That was my Oh, first. my gosh. That must have been so cathartic. Oh, it was, and I did it. I can't remember what my, my time was. I have to look it up here. Um, it was uh, uh, 26 hours, 53 minutes in 72nd place. And I was thrilled. Like, oh my goodness. Wow. That was, that was great. And I was just hooked. And uh, that's what got me hooked. It's and the beautiful thing about it is at that point that I find is completing the race becomes oh, yeah. the goal like in and of itself. And that's the thing that I've loved about it so much is that you can have everyone out there. Right. And there's not like there's the first, second and third, but completing it in and of itself feels like such an insurmountable task. And it's like oftentimes earned through hours or through, you know, time on the trail or putting yourself out there. Like it's hard. It was, it was, you know, just such a feeling of accomplishment. I remember I went back to work and I, told people my tail made a big deal of it. They couldn't believe it. And it was, um, it was, it was just great. I said, okay, I can do this. I, I'm going to keep doing this. And my, my wife wasn't thrilled. <laughs> she, she hoped that this was a midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, in a way it was, but it, it took, it probably took her another year for her to figure out, oh, this thing's sticking. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a part of them. <laughs> she, she, after that first race, when she went and waited for me for hours in a field, uh -huh. <laughs> she, she decided she didn't like this sport and she wasn't <laughs> going to do that anymore. She really hasn't. There's only been a few races where she's crewed me or, or yeah. she, 
but she supported me. <laughs> it's, so make a long story short. I've, I've now finished 105 wow. 100 milers. I was the f- 15th person in the world to reach a hundred. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. Wow. So it, it took me a good year or two to really figure out how to finish hundred milers with, with consistency. And at that point, um, I was became less interested in 50 Ks or 50 milers because mm-hmm. I could just go do that as a training run. Uh, yeah. Why should I go pay somebody? So, mm-hmm. um, so if you look at my results, certainly the last 10 years, probably most of them are 100 milers. Uh, and, and after a few years, I actually got very good at it. I started winning races mm-hmm. uh, and I started getting fast. Uh, uh, was that not, your, was that a goal that you had was to, to... No, um no not really it's kind of accidental i um i learned i learned i enjoyed the mountain ones but i i found out that i had some some good skill at the flat uh oh. ultras uh in fact i started my own race which is a flat one but i but i went to uh I, I tried a uh, fixed time race. Um, What's that? A, it's a, it's, it's, it, they're, they're, they're 24 hour races. Oh or yeah. 48 hour races um, where the, the winner is the one who goes to the furthest and uh, they're on tracks or loop courses. Mm-hmm. And this was on a small loop course of, of a half a kilometer. uh in arizona and um i competed in a 48 hour race and was stunned that competing against very elite runners Mm -hmm. i i won i think it was in 2010 2009 uh, went 187 miles in 48 hours oh my gosh yeah what what do you what's that like for you mentally like what's uh so you mentioned competitiveness. Mm-hmm. It's great for the competitive person because, which I am, because in a loop course you always see your competitors, right? Oh yeah. And you have you have those uh, monitors that show you your lap speeds and where your competitors are, and so so <clears throat> your mind is always focused on your pace and where your competitors are and catching people and uh, so it just just fed into what yeah. i loved and i found out i was very good at that is there an interplay between um competitiveness and um and confidence i ask this because you know competing in martial arts confidence would be um something that would be a crux for me but you're also but i'm not very competitive and you're, I see you're competitive and sometimes, you know, uh, you struggle with confidence in some areas in your past. Do they ever like intermingle in their own way? Um, they, they seem to come together once I convinced myself I, I was actually good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like in that 48 hour race, I reached 100 miles in 19 and a half hours. So I said, wow. wow. <laughs> I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> and, and so... And then when I started winning some small 100 milers, um, I said, "Oh, you know, I'm actually I actually can do this." And uh, um, but unfortunately, I was in my 50s uh, mm-hmm. when I peaked, 
so um, age kind of catches up with you. Um, and so I, I knew, I, I always knew my next race could be my last mm-hmm. uh, because of injury. And so I've always been very careful about taking care of myself and avoiding injuries. And it, it worked really good until I reached about 58, 59. Uh, then the wheels kind of came off. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think when I was 58 and a half, I still did a 100 miler in like close to 21 hours. Wow. So I still had really good speed. But then something happened after that. I discovered doing doing the mountain courses, uh, boy, I just didn't have the strength to go uphill very fast. Like I used to. And, uh, now I'm 62, almost 63. And so I just, (laughs) I'm just happy to go hiking again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's where something that, um, yoga has taught me a lot about that, which is like this striving because I, find myself and get into something to improve and you get I get fixated on like um getting better is the reason why I'm here you know to reach whatever like peak that I have you know as opposed to like I'm just out here to enjoy the experience of running at some point though you stop improving despite all your efforts and you have to reckon someone would have to reconcile over why they do that and why they should keep showing up and doing that, even though they're not improving. Was that yeah. something that's really hard for you to work on? Cause for me, uh, as a, it's a, disappointing, but you know, you have to, there's, you know, you just have to deal with it. You know? mm-hmm. but, but I was thrilled that I peaked in my mid fifties. Um, and I wrote about that a lot and, and I tried to inspire older runners to, or even younger, there's a lot of people in the forties that think they're too old, too old to start ultra running. And that's, mm-hmm. that's crazy. That's crazy thought. And so ho- hopefully I've, I've proved that, Hey, you can peak in your fifties. You can even win races. Uh, you can, um, what I, what I tried to do is always, as I stopped winning races, then it was, okay, I want to make sure that I always win my age group, that nobody older than me ever finishes ahead of me. And, and, um, and I was able to do that for an awful long time. Wow. Um, but it took a lot, it took a lot of effort. It took a lot of training. I had to concentrate on it. I mean, there was a point where I was doing a hundred miler, at least every month. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything before you got into um, doing the long distance running that, took over so much of your time and attention like this on a consistent basis? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of obsessive. So. Oh, you are. Oh, <laughs> tell me about it. What was before that? Wait. <laughs> oh, all sorts of things. Um, I think related uh, to my, my uh, interest in history and, and um, writing uh, in my past, I, that, that absorbed me uh, American history. I published some books um, I Ooh. wrote a lot. Um, and so now as I'm, I can't run as much, I've gone back to that writing and history. Wow. And that's why I now do the ultra running history podcast and, and put out articles every, every other week that take me hours and hours and hours to write. 
Was there, but was it hard for you to, to let go of and transition from writing and the history to running and then to do so again? Like, or were you, do you transition pretty smooth? Uh, pretty smoothly. I, think. Smooth. I, I mean, I think the running thing was accidental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of happened when that day, when I said, when I, when I went up that mountain and saw that I could do it almost twice as fast, I said, this, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. It just, something clicked. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't know I was going to, <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be an ultra runner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it just, it became an interest and I rolled into that thing. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I mean, I have a family, uh, six kids, busy life. Um, <laughs> 10 grandchildren, 11 grandchildren now. One was born last week. So uh, it's a, it's also a life balance. Yeah. Uh, but I, I generally like to be busy um, when I, all the time. And I have a busy job. I'm retiring in two weeks though. Ooh, congrats. Uh, yeah. After 40 years of being in software development. So. Oh, you were a developer? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So, uh so looking forward to more time. I I, uh, I planted a garden uh, last week for the first time in twenty years. Wow! I figured that's what retirees do. So yeah. Well, how's how's planting a garden though in comparison to running? Because like there's like not a lot of intensity there, but that empty space when you could be comfortable with it is so liberating. Well, what this pandemic thing? Mm-hmm. I mean. Um, uh, I've worked from home for like 13 months. I get up, I sit in front of my computer, I do my job, and then I sit in front of my computer researching and writing about ultra running. Mm-hmm. And so what I've done for the past year is I to just stay sane, mm-hmm. uh, especially in times when I've been injured. I just have to get outdoors. And last last year what I would do as I – I'd get up from my work, go out in my yard and pick weeds in my lawn. Mm. And um, there's not a weed in my lawn anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I figured, oh, God, let me put a garden in. At least, so it's just, you got to shift your mind from yeah. you know, sitting in front of a computer all day being dormant. You got just to, to be sane, got to, <laughs> got to do something different. Yeah. Get yourself moving. Yeah. There do you do you think that the the things that like draw you to running and uh, or that drew you to running long distance running specifically um it almost seems like a way to overcome um like self confidence um struggles and and in re, relishing the joy and the pleasure of that like how you're mentioning about filtering your own water this comes from personal experience as well because for some reason i really like to take people out and go backpacking and to like um set up a camp and keep everything safe and filter water and then we get home safe right um there's something about that that i really like and i think about that a lot and then you know life sometimes it's i cannot feel confident if if two people, me and someone else were going to go and start an activity, I would likely not feel confident. And it might not be for any reason at all. It's just like kind of part of me in some way. But I overcome that confidence in my experiences. But when I'm out there, you know, backpacking or running and stuff, um, those experiences 
I have like micro moments where I overcome these little um, self-confidence cruxes. Cause it's like, I'm filtering my own water. I'm navigating, you know, I'm setting up my camp. I always come back safe. And in my day-to-day life, like just doing my job, I don't necessarily get those, um, that satisfaction. And I don't feel that confident in myself, but these activities really bring that out in me. Nothing really changes, but feels like it does. Oh, I, I agree. Um, I think it's, something I discovered as I went along is, is it dawned on me that, Hey, Hey, in the old days, I, I, I didn't even understand the outdoors, but now uh, I can actually survive in that outdoors. <laughs> I can get myself out of, out of almost any, any situation. Now I'm very conservative about safety. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those guys that goes up and, and goes on those nasty ridges, those sketchy places. I, I, I abhor that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, it disturbs me when I see guys posting pictures of that, encouraging others. Cause mm-hmm. every, every year in Utah, we get people one or two life. people that fall, fall off those ridges. But, mm-hmm. but I learned how to, you know, I I had, I, I knew I could go run 50 miles with no problem. You know, mm-hmm. if I could, and, and I, I, I learned that I couldn't get lost. Yeah. I, 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 with, with either a map or the terrain or following a stream, I knew I could always get out of these situations and mm-hmm. I, I rarely got lost, uh, but sometimes I did and, and, but would always get out of it. And it's funny, my backpacking guys, remember I said that I would always be the last. Well, suddenly I was always <laughs> the first yeah. <laughs> and they would always make jokes. We would get in about 20 miles and they said, Hey, let's, let's send Davey back to go get a pizza <laughs> <laughs> you know? because they knew I could go run back into town and go get a pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I remember once at Yosemite, we were camping up near the top of El Cap um and one morning i just got up and i ran down into town and back up before those guys were even awake yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that that's what backpacking turned out to be they would they would uh they would set up a camp and they would play games board games which i had no interest in and mm-hmm. i would go i would go running so so our our backpacks that would usually be about 30 miles. I would add, always add about 50 miles of running. <laughs> but I, I even mean like it's, you know, when you do a long run and nobody's seeing, cause I thought this was ego um, for me, but to be able to see the, the distance that I ran or to like kind of see it in the horizon, that is so satisfying. Oh yeah. Without telling anybody either. And that's what I mean by confidence. Like I just feel like, wow, I did that. I could do that. <sighs> yeah. And that's, that's how my, I, so I'm a race director also. And that's how my race started. Um, I live within a couple miles of the historic pony express trail mm-hmm. that the ponies actually went on back oh. in 1860. And that trail has been marked and figured out. And um, one day, uh, it's still early in my career, I think 2005 sometime, I told my wife, says, I'm going to go run the Pony Express Trail, and I will call you when I need to ride back. (laughs) (laughs) And so I ran through the town, 
got into a, the next valley that was no, you know, no structures and over the next range. And I could see, you know, the mountains behind me disappearing. Oh. And, and there I was by dusk uh, in the middle of nowhere uh, with no structures in the wild west, truly wild west. Wow. And it was such an amazing feeling to be out there. I called her, she came and got me. And the very next week, I had somebody drop me off at that same that stopping point, and I went another 50K. Uh, and then, then I think they helped me shuttle the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I was, but I was past the next mountain range. And, wow. and so, again, it's, you're saying that feeling about you just keep, you look back. I would look back at these ranges, and I could, I could see where I lived and how far it was. And it was just, it gives you that feeling of, this is amazing. Yeah. And there's one stretch that's a 18 miles of just straight stretch. You're just always running towards a, a the next mountain range. It never seems to be coming closer, but you run it and eventually get there. And uh, so Anyway, this thing turned into a race. Um, mm-hmm. So I put on the Pony Express Trail 50 and 100 each year. Um, oh, wow. And it's now the, the, the one of the oldest, well, it's the second oldest race in Utah uh, for a 100 miler. And um, uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. For, for people who like fairly flat races, that it's all dirt road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, very, f- mostly flat. We have one hill, <laughs> we <don't cut laughs> one switch, one switch back too. We tell people you can't cut the switch back. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. That must be amazing. Cause you, you do get that sense of grandeur because it's flat, right? Like, yeah. And what's it's really flat. fun about the hundred milers running, uh, at night because and, and we require, we don't do aid stations. We require crew cars kind of mm-hmm. like bad water. Okay. And um, so a crew car goes along with you, but at night you can, you can see where your competitors are. You can see them 12 miles behind you. You know, it's just this, this amazing feeling of running at night in the desert under the stars uh, that uh, makes this race uh, really cool. (laughs) That's really really cool. It's very different. Most of the races in Utah are mountain races. This one's definitely a desert uh, out in the wild west. It's what we like to do. Uh, Those open expanses in the desert, those provide a very unique opportunity for that very thing that you mentioned, right? Being able to see your competitors like that. And, yeah. and, and also see your distance because you, you get on this like this infinite I haven't experienced that for ultra running but for mountaineering and you know huge snowfields certainly this like infinite elevator of like you keep running or going forward and it doesn't seem like you're making any progress at all and your end goal just seems to continually you know reach into the distance yeah so but, that's that's Great. Although the thing that I really, you know, I've loved the races, but my passion is again, those adventure adventures go on. And, um, and, and now since I can't really compete like I used to, I can still do the adventures. And um, those have always been a part of my career. I've, I've run over a thousand miles down in the grand Canyon 
for example. Wow. Down, down in it. Yeah. And, uh, I've done long routes that nobody else has done before. Um, so you like to be able to put your routes together and, and connect different kinds of trails and make your own like creative yeah. outfinding experience. Yeah. Ooh. So most, most people know about these rim to rim to rims, right? Mm-hmm. You go across and, and come back. And, and so there's a standard way you do it. And it's, it's about 48 miles. Well, that, after I'd done that about 12 times, that was not very interesting anymore. <laughs> So instead of going to the trailhead directly across, I would go down to the river, get on what's called the Tonto Trail, and run about 20 miles down the river from that, and then go up a primitive trail Ooh. up over there, and then return. So it became a 85-mile rim trim. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done several of those there, uh, either upriver or downriver. Nobody else has done those. And, um, is this amazing? Is, is there something that you enjoy about those experiences beyond the actual running itself? Like, Oh yeah. It's the peace and quiet away from people, uh, especially at night. I love running at night. Oh, and really? in fact, half of my career miles have probably been in the dark. What do you like uh, about running at night? Just the peace, the, the coolness, especially in the summer, you know, it's a lot cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the heat. Um, it, and um, just, uh, I don't know. It, uh, I, I learned how to write, how to run pretty well at night. And um, also with a busy family, I, mm-hmm. I discovered if I could do my training runs before everybody wakes up, then it didn't, my wife wouldn't complain. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, I'm still around. Maybe, maybe I'm a little tired and taking naps. <laughs> no, really I chill. <laughs> I didn't really do yard work for 20 years. <laughs> I didn't fix anything in the house for 20 years. Just lots of naps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least I was there. I was around. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Do you being out in like the like the badlands and these desertish places at night, or do you get to be? Are you taking in the landscape, or are you having this like internal like mental experience because a lot of the landscape is shut off visually? Yeah, it's probably a lot lot mental. Lot, mental. Lot I do to like think that. about as you go, but there's still still things to see. Uh, but yeah, there's. I mean, there's all sorts of things. I mean, one, one place I love to run at night is uh, this place called down, down southern Utah, northern Arizona called Buckskin Gulch. It's, oh, I've been seeing pictures of that. Tell me yeah, about it. It's a, it's a slot canyon. I think it's the longest slot canyon, about 20 or about 12 miles or more. Wow. Uh, very, very narrow, but it connects with the Priya Canyon. But doing that at night is just... <laughs> It's just a gas. It's just, it's incredible. It's like, it's like you're running through a cave because you, because you can't see, you know, any sky or anything, but, but it's, your lights are showing the walls and and you just, it's just, it's just amazing to do. That is, that sounds awesome. So there's all sorts of fun things you can do at night. What I did in the, the past summer and I did this for, I don't know, six consecutive weekends. I, I would run in the Uintas in, mm-hmm. in Utah. 
Um, but I'd always start my run very, very early in the morning, like around midnight mm-hmm. uh, at a trailhead and run up uh, during the night through the canyon. So I, by sunrise, I would be up at the highest points. You know, oh. I'd be up at 10, 11,000 feet as this, as above the tree line mm-hmm. as the sun was rising and enjoy what's called the High Line Trail in, in the Uintas and do miles there and then return by dusk <laughs> <laughs> that day. And I, I think I did consecutive 40 or 50 mile runs every weekend for about six weeks last, last summer, just going in the Uintas. I, I rarely see a person. Um, no way. Yeah, it's, just, it's so remote that if I saw a person, it was a backpacker who had been out there for like four or five days. Uh, and they would be surprised to see this guy <laughs> running with this tiny little pack on his back, day pack. Yeah. And, you know, they say, where did you come from? I go, well, I started 20 miles ago this morning from the trail. <laughs> 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 I, and so that's what i love and you know i'm 62 i can still do that yeah. and, um and so i love doing that that's perhaps my so i got into i just did a lot of the or was doing the events here in washington for ultra running and i would find that i'd hit a wall that for me it was really it was really challenging to do those because i don't explicitly like to just um I like the adventure element. All those things that you talk about are like my, my favorite thing about um, being out there and in, in the exact like um, constraint of either trail, really trail running, but I could do some fast packing too, but just having that light day pack, being able to move for miles and get deep into these places and have these like, you know, incredible adventures, but get to see the whole context of the landscape. And yeah. also to have the, the, the not really ability, but to, to practice so that you can achieve the routine of being able to move from like literally all day. Yep. And, and that's like that, that's such a, uh, yeah, I don't know. That sounds like a marvelous way to experience that place, man. <laughs> and another thing about me is I'm, I'm not big on running with groups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some, some people run for social reasons. Um, I guess in a way I'm a running hermit (laughs) because I like to run alone. I like to run at my own pace. I like, I just love the peace and quiet of being out there. I, I, during ultras, it drives me nuts having people chatting behind me talking about nothing Uh, (laughs) or fine. I wanted to draw me nuts. So guys talking about his finances. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, that made me run ahead. Yeah. <laughs> You're fast. <laughs> so what, what I like to do that, that guys in Utah know, know this is what I would do is I, I like to find places that people have never run before. Um, I, I don't go to the common places where people are there every weekend. I'll, I'll look at maps and I'll, I'll try to figure out ridges, you know, safe ridges and, or, or places. Yes, yeah, so probably used more, more by ATVs or hunters or 
or whatever, but, but you'd never see a footprint on those places. And so I, you know, I, I figure out a route, uh, hopefully with some springs where I can find, find water and go do my own 50 miler and, um, and discover these wonderful new places to run. Uh, and then I would write about it for years. I wrote about them. So that's why so many people like go to Capitol reef, like a muley twist and some other places, because I, because I wrote about it. I, I kind of discovered these places, wrote about them. And, and now a lot of people are following some of my footsteps in some of the places that I've discovered to be just beautiful. And, that's like what the thing that I just find really inspiring about you um, and some other long distance runners as well is that it just seems way more, or it seems like the, the point for you is to be able to have that level of, you know, adventure and get out into the landscape. And for me realizing that like, you know, it doesn't have to, even though it doesn't, I go out and try to do like these kinds of races or the races and that package isn't the thing that like, that inspires me the most that I find a place and people that I can resonate with where I basically use the races to set up for training for, to do my own thing with the route finding. And, you know, I found out that like the, there's like the Alaskan wilderness races where they do like the pack rafting. Basically it's like you start here and then you have to go to the point A to point B and it's however you get there, as long as it's, I think like not a motorized vehicle or something um, of that sort. And those things are just like, it's amazing. And there's people out there like yourself who are just spending their weekends or their summers um, creating their own adventures in these public spaces, you know, and, and applying your own creative constraints onto yeah. the process. Yeah. I'm kind of, kind of weird. I'll, I'll see a, I'll see a mountain range and say, Hmm, I wonder <laughs> if I can run around that mountain, <laughs> not up and down it around, around it, you know, it. so I'll, I'll map it out. I'll say, Oh, okay. That's about, 40 months yeah i can do that let's see may i might need to drop some water off or, or whatever and so a lot of my runs i've written up are, are runs around mountains around the lakes around um around cities um i'll map oh out. what you like to do that well yeah That's i've cool. done it around my own city i figure out where the boundaries are and try to run <laughs> to the boundaries as i can you know it's oddly satisfying though right it is, it is. or I'll, I'll do these these um these city runs and the way i'll do them is i'll start at a train station and go run 60 miles and then take the train back you know i'll, I'll, I'll run through the the roads and and do things like that and that is so cool. But it's, it's, yeah, it's something you see, you set a goal and you, you try to go to achieve it. Now I don't always finish all those crazy things that I come up with, but, mm -hmm. but, or, or when I drive on the freeway, I'm always looking up at the mountains and I say, wow, look at that. Look at that flat ridge up there. I bet there's a road up there and I bet, I bet I could run that thing end to end. <laughs> and, and so I've done, I've done that for many of the ranges in Utah, uh, run uh, them in, end to end by, by going up to the top of them. Some are pretty far, you know, 80 miles or. Oh my. Well, I can imagine cause you know, being here in, in Washington, there's a, a mountain range that goes, you know, between me and another town, my, the town I live in and yeah. another town. And there's actually two different ones and they border the west side of the highway and the east side of the highway. And like, 
what what's more the thing that i would wrestle with is i'd get ready for an ultra run right but this like and it'd be hard to to be inspired and motivated for it but something like this like i just dream about it and it's like i just want to run from the south end to the north end of the town and then ride my bike back to my car and that sounds like so much fun i don't really care if i'm super slow but i want to be you know oh yeah quick enough yeah i'm never (laughs) racing on my adventure runs really i mean my my pay and it's getting slower and slower, but mm-hmm. you know, if I'm You're okay with that, if I'm going four miles an hour, I'm thrilled, you know? Um, and it's a lot of times it's less than, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's time on the, it's time on your feet. And, uh, as I, you know, as I did that and had a lot of time on my feet, I, I found I could still do hundred milers really well, mm-hmm. uh, by, by doing those kind of runs. So I grew up in Washington, so. Oh yeah, and what part of Washington did you grow up in? Uh, south of Seattle. Oh, uh, nice place called Federal Way. Oh, that's rad, man. Yeah, yeah. So I, I learned how to ski in the, in your mountains there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good setup. I heard the skiing over in Washington, or Utah is pretty great too. Yeah. Um, so you said that you were into like into history. You were you wrote books on history in the past, and you were into. Um, was it like the settlement or the Anglo-Saxon settling up, settling in the West? And like, no, it was the, it was the, uh, the Western migration, uh, especially settling Utah. Mm-hmm. So is the, the Mormon pioneer trek, uh, from, uh, in the 1840s, 1850s that I deeply researched. Uh, I have, I have ancestors who were part of, those those companies and uh uh and there was a celebration of 150 years since those events and back in the 90s i got involved deeply in researching and writing about that and that resulted in three books that i i self-published but but sold a lot of copies and uh, so i learned how to research Mm -hmm. learned how to research how to write uh and um and then just something happened about three years ago i i I figured out boy there's a lot of ultra running history nobody has ever researched or written about Mm -hmm. and um which is much easier than trying to find new history in american history western migration so many people have written about that so it was kind of a gold mine of finding stories that have been forgotten uh that can be found in newspapers and i i just i found out that this the story we have been fed for years about western states starting the sport was totally false that (laughs) yeah that it it was a it was a great marketing story for Mm -hmm. western states but it totally ignored the hist- the true history of the sport, and that re- that bothered me. Um, that uh, that really the full story needed to be told. So my my podcast I do ultra running history uh, podcast really tries to uncover a lot of the the early runners that have been forgotten mm-hmm. or pushed aside and um give them some credit a lot of these runners are now in their 70s and 80s wow oh wow some of them are still i didn't even think of that either in the face of that like if you have that kind of contradiction within that the 
history and then some of those people are still alive that would yeah that's wild i mean, I, I don't i don't blame the western states people back then I, yeah. they 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 were they were um they had a they were horse endurance riders and you know they started western state. they had no idea what the history of ultra running was wasn't it like with your experience too like you could relate to that um in your own way where you get into running you're like you know, you think I'm inventing you, this exactly, and then you realize it like it's a human thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get it. So they they thought they were inventing it, or they thought maybe it only existed in California. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a California you know, <laughs> mindset, um, but but it didn't. And it turned out Gordy Ainsley wasn't even the first person to run the <laughs> Western States Trail. There were eight uh, eight people who did it before him, and wow, and and that that story was purposely hidden and <laughs> that bothered me yeah. and so um anyway i love western states it's so historic yeah, and it, absolutely. It, it 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 really made the sport blossom especially mm-hmm. in the mountains and uh great credit to those those people who started it it's yeah just, really kicked off the culture they kind of overreached their credit mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly and that's where you don't want to you know throw the baby out with the bath water i yeah. guess in that yeah. way yeah you got to recognize the people who came before and they mm-hmm. those, those early ones they rarely recognized the the ones who came before so um and it also leaves though room for like this interesting story because how far back does to your knowledge does ultra running go oh it well, it depends on what you call it, but certainly even back in the 1700s, people were, uh, and I mean, mostly walkers, but some runners, but they were trying to do, do well over, you know, the marathon distance, <laughs> you know, to do a hundred mile. I mean, back in the early 1800s, it was popular to try to do a thousand miles Whoa. Where, where you would do one mile every hour. And you oh could do that for a thousand hours. <laughs> and it became a it became a spectator embedding sport uh, where people would try to do it. And it was called the Bar- the Barkley Challenge or the Barkley um, yeah the Barkley Challenge. Really? Yeah. Whoa, that's wild. <laughs> oh, yeah, fun, funny. It's spelled yeah, different, ironic. but it was all all the first first guy who really made it popular was last name was. Uh, Barclay. Barclay. Yeah. Wow. So yes, but where where it really got going was in eighteen in the eighteen seventies, the what are called pedestrians. Mm-hmm. And they started doing these, you know, these six day races and they mostly indoors. Uh what? On, on tracks indoors. Yeah. Small little tracks indoors? Small little tracks. Madison Square Garden. Uh um yeah, there was, they, they, they were, in fact, they were probably the biggest sport spectator sport of that era. No um, way. And that's just like tens of thousands would come watch. Wow. And, and the, the, the thrill of it is it was like a, uh, a reality show to them because oh. they, they would hope and watch these runners collapse and <laughs> suffer it's like nascar <laughs> yeah. no they were yeah they were looking for <laughs> looking for the blood and you know they would because a lot of times these runners or, or rockers they would 
they would be so sleep deprived they would do just bizarre things. Really? And they would they would just wait to see these things happen. And they <laughs> these these competitors they would actually start having fights on the track. Oh. And, yeah. <laughs> All these crazy stories of <laughs> What what would happen in these these, these races? Eventually, towards the nineteen hundreds, they started passing laws to ban, ban them because they, you know, they attracted kind of a the, the lower life. Uh, oh yeah, class of people and <laughs> trying and, to earn some money, maybe. Yeah, and corruption would happen, and oh, bets, yeah. and and all those kind of things. But for a good ten year period, it was it was a big time thing, and. Eventually, they got away from the walking, and they, they because it was really hard because people would kind of cheat walking, mm-hmm. uh, heel to toe walking. So they they go to what is it called? Go as you please, and and that is you could run if you want. Mm-hmm. And when they started allowing that in the eighteen eighties, then you started seeing records. You started seeing people reaching a hundred miles in in under twenty four hours, and even twenty hours. Uh, wow. And so, um, yeah, so, so the running sport really started and women participated back then. Oh, they did. Uh, yeah. There were some very oh, wow. tough women who, uh, would go on exhibitions across the, the country, the United States. Um, I mean, again, these indoor, indoor events, <laughs> <laughs> they would even do a thousand miles indoor. <laughs> thousand miles on these teeny tracks i I forgot there's one guy i think you'd have to do like i don't know how many like about 20 or 30 to a mile um little little rooms in city halls (laughs) (laughs) doing like thirty thousand miles or thirty thousand laps around the track just crazy number of laps Wow. And, and people would come in, you know, they, on some of those small rooms, they'd only fit about a hundred people, but then, you know, then, and they would have bands play people play, you know, so they were you know, back then they didn't have TVs or the internet. Yeah, that's, that was their entertainment. Oh yeah. You'd have to go there and, and witness like the craziness. So if you're looking for a reality show in that sense, people are, yeah. are traveling there or like visiting oh, there yeah. and watching. Wow, it was big. Man. It was big time, big time. Bro. That yeah. is wild. And you know, the interesting thing about, I guess the reality TV show is all of that is very unique. Like, that only can happen in the context of, you know, our, our, world right like watching people on tv behaving in seemingly real ways and having extreme you know dramatic conflicts right because on a play you couldn't really simulate that but getting people sleep deprived and stuff like you'd really get some organic drama (laughs) well in fact you know pt barnum uh of circus fame Uh uh-huh he he embraced this ultra running this pedestrianism uh, so he, he was really the one who brought it to New York City. So wow. he had a big circus, uh, which is, I, th- I think, now where the Trump Tower sits <laughs> on that block and um, had a big had big tents there. And he he invited uh, some of the pedestrians of those times to during his you know circus to actually be doing these these walks or runs for multiple days Whoa. and um, draw an audience there. And so 
he, he was actually influential in <laughs> running. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was. So I, I discover these things. I, I don't expect to find these things, but I read in these old online newspapers. I, mm-hmm. I search. Um, since I'm in software development and, and involved with search, I've learned how to search really well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I find these things and piece together these stories and find these characters and these, uh, these crazy events and then try to write about them. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, so I, I've now had up to my 76th podcast episode mm-hmm. where I you know, tell these stories about these things that I, I find. And that's what I, I love is like, you know, there's not really many, at least when I was looking, um, as I was getting into ultra running podcasts about the, the history of it, you know, a lot of it's like adventure and training and yeah. tactics uh-huh. and stuff. Uh-huh. But I just like, I, once I get into your podcast, you begin to realize that it's a big, was a big part of the culture in its own way. And you learn a whole piece of like American culture and other cultures, you know, in relation it, to ultra it, running. It was now, now it faded when the great depression occurred uh in the 1930s it fizzled out people were worried about just living yeah (laughs) nobody was really interested in giving their up their money to walk to watch people run around tracks Mm -hmm. and so unfortunately ultra running really kind of disappeared and then the war world war ii happened again there's just pockets of it little by little so it was really in the 1950s and 1960s where it started reappearing mm-hmm. and uh and we give credit to ted corbett of new york city mm-hmm. uh an african-american there who really started ultra running again in in america wow. uh he, he, he was the president of the new york city roadrunners club mm-hmm. and he started ultra running races in new york city in the ni- late 1950s Hmm. And um, to get people qualified to go run the big race, the mm-hmm. big race at the time was in London. It's called London to Brighton, and it was 52 miles. And that was really the, 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 the prominent ultra run, running race of the time. Uh, oh, and wow. it was a road, road race. And, but he, but so, during the 1960s, that's where the ultra running events in New York City started popping up. They spread to places like New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and uh, by this, you know, and hundred milers were taking place well before Western states. Oh, yeah, and um, and so so there's some very very talented and very fast. Hundred mile runners uh, were doing doing their thing in the seventies. Uh, so that's that's what I've been writing mostly about recently about some of these guys, and some of them are still living, and uh, and enjoy having me call them up and tell their stories. That's so cool, man. Yeah, and yeah, and, and if anyone wants to check out your podcast too, I'll be sure to leave the links to that in the show notes. Um, yeah, it's. A, Definitely. Even if you're not an ultra runner, like your podcast is like a thing for, you know, American culture and culture at large and, you know, an exercise too within culture. And I've expanded outside of the United States. A lot of, a lot of ultra runners think we invented it here <laughs> in the States and we did it. Uh, England, South Africa, Australia, boy, there's, there's so, so many things 
that happened well before it was ingrained ingrained here. In 1980, uh, the, the the ultra runners were made up only 17 percent. American ultra runners were only 17 percent of the sport. There was there was far more ultra runners in Europe and other places. And so I've tried to uncover those stories too, to help people understand that it's, it's not an American sport. Uh, it's, it's a worldwide sport. It seems like it's a, I'd wonder if it's very much just a human tendency for that, like, oh, yeah. you know, that adventure archetype and just all of those things. And that's that, like what re- reading, um, you know, born to run, I suppose, and trying to someone who just doesn't, doesn't run and how I got into running, you know, reading born to run and then, uh, expanding from there, you just begin to wonder how intrinsic, like just movement running and covering distance and stuff is in our nature, you know? And it's like, it'd be more logical in my opinion for us to like have a running kind of sport than it would be a lifting kind of sport for a longer period of time, or even just those two, as opposed to mountain biking, right? Like mountain biking seems pretty modern. It's great that Born to Run covered the Tarahumara uh, yeah. in Mexico, and I've researched them. Some people think that they only came to the United States in the '90s when Born to Run covered them, but no, they mm-hmm. they were they came earlier. Really? Oh yeah, they they competed against uh, in college stadiums uh, much much earlier. I think it was in the 1918 or something like that, as early as that. Wow. Yeah. So I've written an episode about the Tarahumara before Born to Run. Ooh, I'll today. check that out. But they, yeah, I mean, so they were running, they were running mountain hundred milers well before Western wow. State. And uh, um, so sometimes us Americans, we forget, hey, there's, there's other ultra runners. Other the places. context of the culture at large. Yeah. Do you know of anything that's like, What's the oldest material that you've um, found that referenced ultra running? Oh, you know, it's again, probably, you know, I try, I have a series going right now on my, my um, podcast, which is the history of 100 milers. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started as far back as I can. I can't remember the year, but yeah, it's probably in the 1700s where I found like the first hundred miler. Um, so I've tried to document that. 50 milers, I tried to research that too. And that even goes further, further mm-hmm. back. Um, so it depends on what you call them and yeah. what they were doing. Uh, a lot of those early ones were, they would mark, a place on a road, a half mile distance on a road, and then go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for like a hundred miles. <laughs> do you, do, would you find it be more common that you would find these like um, uh, uh, a lot of laps of a short distance or? Yeah. Yeah. That was, but, but then they go, it went to, and then you got those loop things indoors and then, then it evolved into these point to point things for a while People were trying to go run between cities, you know, between Chicago and New York to, I don't to get their names in the paper, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so a lot of, there was, there's this, these periods where there were fewer races, but more of these stunt artists. Mm. Then people started running between cities and uh, would try to get their names in the paper. Um, But I, I mean, for decades, 
people who had no idea there was sports called ultra running or long distance would get these crazy ideas in their mind of doing long distance running, uh, whether it's trying to see how far they could go in 24 hours or can I run between this point and this point? And usually their motivation was to get their names in the paper. Yeah. And uh, they were successful. And um, some of them then turned into what I call our stunt artists. They learned that they could make almost a living of doing it. Oh, wow. And, um, and then a lot of them turned into frauds. <laughs> <laughs> they, would, uh. they would get some notoriety <clears throat> and learn that they could make some money off it. And so they would fake uh, certain things or they would claim that they had broken a world record oh my gosh really didn't in fact i had a series one one series that fascinates me it fascinates me it doesn't get a lot of traffic because i had multiple episodes about um walks around the world there was a period of time near the early 1900s where people were trying to walk around the world in multiple years whoa and um so there was a time, especially in the United States, in the Midwest, where it seemed like almost every week or at least once a month, somebody would show up into a town and say that they were walking around the world. And 90% and of them were frauds. <laughs> Just trying to get attention? Well, or they were trying to get, they were trying to have an adventure on other people's buck. Oh, yeah. Because they would say that they, they were doing it as part of a bet, kind of like around the world in 80 days, Phoebe's mm-hmm. Fog, you know, kind of. So they're saying they're doing it on a bet that they could not spend their own money. They had to, <laughs> they had to only receive, and they couldn't even, some of them said, we can't, we can't even work <laughs> as part of this bet. We have to be supported along the way. So the naive public back then would just put them up in for free, free room and board in their towns and have them uh, give lectures uh, and, and give them donations and money. And then they would move on to the next town. But they would probably take a train when people weren't watching. Yeah, or if not on. And so this happened over and over again. Wow. And that's, that's part of it is there's always been frauds in the mm-hmm. sport of ultra running. There's always been cheats. Uh, we've seen some in the past year that have got the headlines, but that have been discovered. But the, and, and unfortunately that's always been part of the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a little easier to detect them now that I can piece together newspaper articles <laughs> and see that it was impossible for them to get to from this city to this city in one day. Yeah. (laughs) That's been kind of fun. (laughs) That would be pretty fun. (laughs) And I think, you know, there's always some percentage of hucksters and everything. There are. To be able to identify those red flags though, you know? So Yeah. And so remember that the the motivation, it was very early, very easy to get attention Mm -hmm. and to make money uh especially when times were hard uh so the temptation was great yeah. uh for a lot of these people to 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 do this and back back before 
our modern or aerial ultra running, most of the ultra runners were professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they uh, found ways to get paid or win winnings and try to make it a career. And in fact, a lot of these races, early races were invitational races only for professionals. Oh. Uh, and that's the way it was in this early seventies too. A lot of them were, you know, invitation only for elite runners. It, it really wasn't until the eighties where races opened up to you and I, mm-hmm. uh, where anybody could participate in it. And, and I'm grateful that it did open up that people were less focused on the elite runner and it turned into more of a sport to just finish, you mm-hmm. know, see what you could do. Oh, that makes sense. I was wondering about that. If it were more that the demand were there or if that people were marketing, you know, allowing people to, to participate. Um, it took a while to open for, for a while. People thought that just really a fringe, crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, even marathon runners, back in the early seventies were thought to be really weird. That's uh, the thing you find out with like, you know, a handful of kinds of recreation. I don't know. Maybe paintings the same way too, but like if you give, if you get at it consistently, you almost become unrecognizable to your former self. And you realize that like that thing that seems very um, unlikely or incredible that someone did um, while I give them all the credit uh, through practice, you'd be surprised what you could do. Yeah. And, you know, running's a big one with that, like with the appropriate adaptations, right? I mean, like a hundred miles isn't really out of anyone's wheelhouse. And, and that's probably a good way to sum all this up is, you know, you'll be surprised what you really can do. Um, I, when I look at myself, I'm, you know, I, I was never an athlete in, in school. Uh, I was picked last on teams. Um, I excelled in certain things, but I was probably your average guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, if you work hard at something, you'll surprise yourself <laughs> uh, what, you, what you really can do. And, and you got to set your sights a little bit higher if you, you want to excel. And um, so that's kind of what's happened I think to, to the sport in general, um, <clears throat> people have been surprised that they could actually do this. They find out that it's actually fun to, to be <laughs> painful. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, running a hundred miles is painful. Yeah, I mean, it, is. it really is. <laughs> so but you forget about the pain after a day and mm-hmm. then you want to do another one. And so <laughs> that, that ex- whatever you figure out in your own mind and that experience is so invaluable for self-learning. And I don't even know how to explain it. Like the, even just type to be able to, to know that you're going to eventually enjoy this type two fun you're about to have. That's, that's pretty valuable. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least I've been trying to teach my son and he seems to like it. So, <laughs> all right. Well, um, where can check out, where can people check out more about you, Davey, from your books and your podcasts and your writing? Well, I have two sites. If, if you want to learn about um, me and my ultra running, um, I've actually written an online book, kind of my memoirs, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you can find that at Crockett. Let's see. Crockett. 
crockettclan.org slash blog. That's my, my running blog. And right on the front page is a link to you can download a PDF of a couple hundred pages that tell my story and my Ooh. adventures, um, Grand Canyon, Capitol Reef, all, all the things running at night, um, you know, running, running when you're 50 uh, against age and all sorts of things that I've written about. Even your shoe, your, uh, your shoe progression too. All sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, what, I've, what I've learned. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrote most of that when I was injured. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to spend your time. <laughs> yeah. So there's that site, but the site I'm spending most of my time on now is ultrarunninghistory.com. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's where you can find my podcast. Of course, you can subscribe to the podcast any place where podcasts are. Uh, on Apple Podcasts and other places. But it's ultrarunninghistory.com where you can, every episode, I do a very long article too, so you can read it. The articles are more detailed than the podcast. Uh, so a lot of people, and it, it auto-translates into multiple languages too. So That's great. Uh, not just English. Yeah, and you got a good um, video element to those, some of those podcasts. Yeah, too. that's right. So I also have a YouTube channel, uh, which is Ultra Running History uh, YouTube channel. So sweet. Uh, um, so now when I do a podcast episode, I adapt it to video. So as I as you're listening to me talk, uh, I show lots of pictures and video clips to make it interesting. And it really adds to the the whole context of it all. Yeah. Yeah, you can see the people I'm talking about. I, uh, I uncover all these these pictures in newspapers and high school yearbooks and other things. That's so cool, man. Yeah. I love that. Well, I'll make sure to leave all the links to that in the show notes. And I really Thanks. appreciate your time, Dave. Oh, this, this has been fun. Great to talk to you. Yeah, great to talk to you as well. Thank you. Woo, I really enjoyed that episode of the podcast. Like it's in, you know how many times I get marble mouth on this thing? It can be really difficult. You got to like, you do this like sometimes 10 times more than it's reflected when you, um, when you talk. See, look at that. There's a lot of marble mouth there. You think talking's really easy. It's so odd. Anyway, I love getting to hear Davey's story and coming into ultra running from his background of not having a lot of fitness and, you know, struggling um, to keep up on the trails and falling in love with moving far and light, doing these ultra running races and f discovering the adventure and cultivating it within himself. Um, and then, like, his, you know, two, like, interests or skills merge of being an author and writing about history and ultra running to create like probably one of the, my opinion, one of the coolest, like, you know, podcasts and, uh, entries into history. And it's pretty wild to think that people have been doing stuff like this for a very long time. And I love how Davey puts it all together, especially his YouTube channel. And, I even put the a video on my website, and it's on his YouTube channel. It's of the Grand Canyon series where details a history of people trying to cross um, from one rim of the Grand Canyon to the other. Uh, it's pretty cool. 
the big thing nowadays is for people to run from one one rim of the Grand Canyon to the other side and then back. Um, it's a pretty intense day. Uh, some people will even, you know, train for for a long time for it, you know, for a whole year, a few months, or even longer. Um, it's quite the thing to wrap a vacation around, I suppose. At least it's all good in the name of, you know, health, good old healthy fun. <laughs> you can check out more about Davy Crockett at ultrarunninghistory.com and then um, also on the website. I lost the website. I think it's uh, Crockett Clan dot com as well um but i'll leave the links in the show notes and thank you guys for listening uh you can catch that video uh on his youtube channel ultra running history or my webs or um in the show notes on the website becoming human podcast.com i'm gonna play you out with um the whip it's a sick remix by Dirtwire. i've been really enjoying it hope you guys enjoy it too you can find the link to uh, more songs by Dirtwire in the show notes and on the website. Or just go to dirtwire.net. Woo! Enjoy!